The Forum on Workplace Inclusion's 2021 podcast series is sponsored by Best Buy. More diversity in tech means more ideas that can change the world. Learn more at bestbuy.com slash more of this. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion's 2022 call for proposals is now open. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion is excited to announce the opening of the call for proposals for our 2022 program year, including our 34th annual conference, Solving for X, tackling inequity in a world of unknowns. Addressing complex challenges can be daunting, especially when the foundations of our structures are shifting. As we look to a future of continuous and unforeseeable change, what must we do to tackle systemic inequities deeply embedded in our everyday environments and unharness inclusive, equitable, and sustainable ways of working? We invite you to submit a proposal to be part of the upcoming program year and to help us solve for X. The submission deadline is Monday, August 16th, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Central. Learn more at forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash CFP. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash CFP. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast series brought to you by Best Buy. I'm Ben Rue, Program Manager here at the Forum. We're looking forward to today's podcast, a step-by-step guide to developing and implementing a diversity and inclusion program with Roselle Rogers of Circa and Pamela Pujo of Affirmity. With the increasing pressures from the burgeoning discussion around race and diversity, many PR practitioners have been assigned responsibility of developing a diversity and inclusion programs in their organizations. What are key components of a DEI program? What are key elements of success and engagement? How do you measure success beyond applicants and hires? How do you make it sustainable? And how can you take it beyond a program into a transformative business strategy? This podcast will help you understand the core components of a diversity and inclusion program, learn a step-by-step process for designing a diversity and inclusion program that is integrated, and learn best practices for implementation and measuring results. Roselle Rogers is the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Circa, with responsibility for leading its DEI program and thought leadership initiatives. She is a subject matter expert in HR and off-CCP compliance, affirmative action, EEO, and diversity, and frequently speaks on these topics at various HR conferences and webinars, educating and keeping federal contractors abreast of trends and recent developments in off-CCP slash AA slash EEO compliance. She has more than 27 years of HR experience and is a certified as a senior professional human resources and SHRM senior cert- certified 
professional. Roselle is a graduate of the University of the Philippines with a bachelor's degree in economics and a postgraduate diploma in human resources development from the Ateneo de Manila University. She currently volunteers her time as director of the board of the UP Alumni Association of Wisconsin. Pamela Pujo is a diversity advocate for Affirmity. She has nearly a decade of experience developing and leading successful diversity strategies and innovative DEI programs. Her expertise spans diversity, inclusion, and equity, and accessibility, with an emphasis on data, metrics, and benchmarking. At Affirmity, she helps clients optimize their diversity and inclusion programs through the development of their diversity, benchmarking, and reporting tools. Thank you, Pam and Roselle, for being here so much. We really appreciate you being part of our 2021 podcast series, especially with how well your session went and how well it was received in the recent conference. Well, thank you, Ben. It's our pleasure to be here. So happy for us to have this opportunity to do a podcast with you. Yes, thank you, Ben, for the invitation. Yeah, so I'm really excited. So let's just jump right in. So the first question is going to be for you, Rizal. So how can HR departments help to make DEI an integral part of their organization's cultures instead of just like a one-off or one-time initiative? Well, HR really needs to play the role of thought leader in the organization and, and set the right framework for DEI. And I think the first step is to dispel certain myths about DEI and define what diversity means to your organization and why diversity is essential to your company. The first myth is the very definition of diversity. Many people think of it as simply race and gender. It is not. Diversity really encompasses all of the dimensions of difference that make you and I different from each other, whether it's race, gender, age, religion, disability, all the way to differences in our education, our socioeconomic background, our differences in our family status, uh, to our thinking styles, viewpoints, and political thought. And each and every one of these dimensions brings a unique perspective to the table. And better decisions are made and will be made when you bring complementary perspectives and consider those. Why? Because it fuels idea generation, um, much richer idea generation, and it fuels a synthesis of ideas and allows for the more superior ideas to emerge. And then HR also needs to dispel the notion that DEI is just a recruiting problem. You can bring all the diverse talent you want, but without inclusion and a culture of belonging uh, and equal access and opportunity within the organization, you will not retain that talent. They will just leave and you'll continue to have a diversity revolving door. And then third, uh, DEI is definitely not just an initiative coming out of HR. When you start talking about inclusion and culture, your approach really needs to be more systemic, more comprehensive and integrated. Uh, it will require the involvement of all of your stakeholders, your managers, your leadership, uh, HR to define your people practices, your marketing team to help with your employer brand messaging, your business operations team to work on supplier diversity and your employees. Because the AI is very much a shared responsibility and we need to engage all of the actors and build accountability for DEI among all of us. And then lastly, 
HR needs to understand that DEI is not just a program. It's a transformation process. That's what we're managing. It's an organizational change process that takes time. And like any good OD process, it requires the patient investment of effort, resources, and time. Because inclusion will not happen overnight. And HR is the shepherd that needs to guide the organization through those stages from compliance-focused DEI to programmatic DEI to leader-led DEI. And then finally, to integrate a DEI where it is integrated into all aspects of your organization, its behaviors, its structures, its systems, and inclusion is now mainstreamed into the way you do business. So that's what I think HR, HR's role is when it comes to making sure that diversity or DEI efforts are not just piecemeal into the organization and, and, and is more of an integrated, comprehensive approach. Thank you so much. That's such a great answer. And you mentioned DEI involving all of us and that involves leadership buy-in as well. How do you secure leadership buy-in and what are some strategies to encourage leadership involvement? You know, that's a great question that's always top of mind uh, with a lot of organizations when they're looking for to start their DEI strategy. And we know that, you know, a successful DEI strategy starts with um, a C-suite that would embody the culture that it wants to create. So that means it's important to drive home how diversity, you know, and inclusion positively impacts each line of business and the potential negative effects when DEI is absent. So the best way that we can look at establishing, you know, diversity and inclusion as a business driver is to tie it to your organization's most critical business priorities. You know, we know we've all heard the research from McKinsey and company um, that has showed that companies in that top quartile um, that have ethnic and cultural diversity on their executive teams are also, they're more likely to have those industry leading profitability. So we should always make DEI relevant to every leader within our organizations. You know, it should not just be the chief diversity officer, should not be the only, you know, senior leader with a primary focus on DEI. We need leaders all across all areas of the organization, from executive leaders all the way to middle managers and supervisors. You know, they should be fully engaged and equally involved in the development and implementation of your organization's DEI strategy. I would also add that you also need to create urgency because statistics show that by 2035, there will not be a single ethnic majority, uh, ethnic minority group anymore. The data also shows that in 2019, millennials comprise the largest majority group in the workforce. And they are by far the most diverse. So just think about that. Fast forward five, 10 years from now, do we think things will be more diverse or less diverse? Because this is the least diverse we will ever be. The labor market we recruit from, the society and the public we sell products and services to, it's just going to be more and more diverse. And the future is diverse. And the sooner we start operating within that framework and understanding, the better served our organizations will be. Because the companies who lag behind, who don't start soon, 
are the ones who are going to play catch up because we're all competing for the same talent and we're all competing for the same customers. And as we said, DEI does not happen overnight and we really need to start now. Now, how do you encourage leadership involvement? When you secure leadership buy-in, take it all the way to resourcing and budgeting. It cannot just be lip service. So many times we forget to take it all the way to that. Make sure you have line items in your annual budget for DEI activities. Get DEI into your company strategic plan, have it be part of your corporate goals, and then you cascade responsibility and accountability for accomplishing those goals across all of your managers. Make sure you have a DEI plan that assigns objectives and metrics across various departments, because DEI should be part of each manager's OKRs. We are all responsible for DEI, and we are measured and evaluated based on those uh, accomplishments that we have against our DEI goals. And that's how you make managers and leadership accountable for DEI. Thank you for that. And uh, speaking of metrics and uh, goals, what are best practices for engaging applicants to identify so we can see how diverse our workforce is? Well, when you invite applicants to identify, the most important thing would be to explain, why are you collecting this information? Uh, and explain that the information is not going to be used in the employment decision. However, what we're finding is this is not enough because applicants are reticent to disclose because they're afraid it will negatively impact their chances or that they are going to be steered towards certain jobs or be stereotyped. So what is it that employers can do? The key is to build a safe and welcoming workplace and communicate that in your messaging to your applicants. If that is the policy and philosophy of your organization, it will show in the way your recruiters, your hiring managers, and your employees interact with your applicants. And actions need to back your messaging. And then second, do work with your talent acquisition team, your HR and marketing team, to make your job ads and career website more welcoming and inclusive of people with disabilities. Work on both the messaging and the imagery, and then consider having video testimonials from employees speaking to your work culture and have those be on your employment or career website. And then third, promote your company as a diverse and inclusive employer. Branding is important. You know why? Because diversity attracts diversity. And so beyond your website, try to use social media and email campaigns to have various touch points to reach your prospective applicants and really establish yourself as a diverse and inclusive brand. Thank you. And once hired, what are some best practices for onboarding diverse talent? Onboarding is so very critical to the retention of diverse talent. You invested all of this time and effort to bring them in. You really need to invest just as much time, if not more effort in retaining them in order to avoid what we call the diversity revolving door. Because while we have put a lot of attention to diversity recruiting, many companies haven't put as much attention to diversity retention. 
we haven't really created a formal back-end process that fights to keep the successfully recruited employees after they start. And statistics show that diverse employees who leave, they usually make that decision within their first 90 days and they leave within their first 12 months. So when you're evaluating your onboarding process, consider the following, the content, the actual procedure and systems and duration. How is it being undertaken? Who is helping them? Are those people trained so that everyone has a consistent onboarding experience? Take a look at the time frame and make sure that the duration is long enough to ensure success on the job. Make sure that your new employees are being equipped with the tools, with the resources, and the information they need to succeed. And then provide the mentors to guide and show them the ropes to navigate your organization and also to socialize them and help them assimilate. And then consider matching them with or give them access to successful people who are in similar roles who can be their mentor and sponsor. But we also know that it's not just onboarding that affects retention. Companies also need to invest time and resources focusing on culture and ensuring that your diverse employees have an opportunity to advance and grow in your organization. And this requires looking at your people practices, policies, and procedures. So onboarding is just the spark. What would really retain your diverse talent in your organization is if they can actually grow, develop, um, and advance within your organization. And so inclusion and that culture development is very, very important. That is, yeah, so very important, especially here in Minneapolis, or well, Minnesota in general. We have we have a bit of an issue retaining um, diverse talent in uh, Minnesota. So hopefully that will help in alleviating that. Um, and you mentioned the, about culture and the work in the companies. How can companies engage employee resource groups in the DEI strategy and implementation process? You know, that's a very good question, Ben, and employer resource groups are so vitally important to the overall culture of a company. Um, we see that they are climbing up the agenda at many leading organizations um, as a pivotal component of their DEI strategy. So the ERGs, you know, they can lend powerful support to critical business and talent objectives, especially those that Rosell just mentioned um, pertaining to talent acquisition you know, such as also increasing employee retention uh, by developing those new leaders um, through hosting leadership workshops and also helping to recruit that high quality diverse talent. Um, they can do this by attending career fairs, you know, sharing those job openings with their networks and also referring top talent um, if they're a member of the employee resource groups. We also know that, you know, the ERGs can contribute significantly to your talent acquisition as well as mentorship efforts. Um, having ERG members attend those career fairs will help you reach your hiring goals. Because as we mentioned earlier, you know, if you see someone who you can assimilate with or connect with, you're more than likely to want to um, apply to that organization. And then also we know that, you know, ERG run sessions that educate their membership on career development will help with your retention efforts. 
So we see that many companies um, also rely on the ERGs to help foster that innovative thinking and help them also break into or expand into new markets that may be one of the company's objectives. Um, we also know that you know, ERGs can help create that culture of inclusivity, you know, embedding that into the company culture by helping to you know, raise awareness internally, um, as well as elevating the company's brand within the, com the communities um, that an ERG may represent. Thank you for that, Pam. And do you have any suggestions on how to encourage employees to raise their hands to lead or even participate in the ERGs? Um, yes, definitely. The engagement process is so critical to the ERGs and the company on a whole, um, and it's heavily dependent upon the activities that the ERGs plans throughout the year. So looking at the group's activities, you know, it should revolve around what is the mission of the ERG? Also, um, what are the goals identified um, as company initiatives? And then make sure that the programs um, or that members have expressed an interest in what they want to participate. So when we know that the programs are focused, you know, on common interests of the ERG, that will help drive, you know, those higher levels of engagement. And then also, if we look at the benefits of participation, if those are communicated uh, properly to the employees, then usually oftentimes they will participate um, and they may even pursue leadership opportunities within the ERG. So some of the benefits you know, are, are numerous and we can take a look at some of those that will benefit the employees. So first, employees can leverage those ERGs to participate in leadership and professional development. Um, second, employees will have exposure to skills-based training and enhancement, as well as exposure to senior leaders. Um, another benefit would be members um, have the opportunity to participate in an ERG-sponsored mentorship program. We know that these days mentorship and sponsorship are so vitally important to helping an employee um, transition to higher level positions within the organization. And then also um, ERGs can give members the opportunity to drive cultural change in the company um, and engage in company forums. As we've seen over the past few months, so many companies are starting to have those um, critical and crucial conversations with those employees, given what's happening um, in our society. Oftentimes that may overlap into the um, organizational sphere. And then, you know, fourth, um, another thing is that members can connect to a wider base of employees um, through social networks, planned events, and social gatherings. Um, it helps you become more connected with the wider range of employees versus just those who you interact with on a daily basis. And also ERGs can help with community involvement. Um, it helps members advocate for larger cultural and social goals that span outside of the, the walls of the organization. You know, another way um, thinking about it that companies can encourage participation in the ERGs is by adding um, as a part of employee performance reviews. You know, managers could be educated on the value of ERGs and their tie into company goals, um, as well as how employee participation benefits the companies. So once this is done, um, you can push 
to add ERG participation to employee goals, and then talk about adding that participation as part of the annual employee performance reviews. And then another thing that would encourage participation is having access to those executive sponsors that usually um, oversee or help in the um, development of ERGs. Um, they should also be asked to provide, you know, their commentary and feedback on how the ERGs are important to the company and how they can work with the individual members. So, and I know a lot of times employees think, oh, this is like extra work for me. I'm already, you know, inundated with my daily tasks. How can I manage um, also participating in ERG? Uh, well, we provide the tools and resources to help them effectively manage their ERGs um, that can help foster and encourage participation. So having those management tools um, can also drive participation, improve communications, and also help to decrease time that may be spent away from their main jobs. Thank you. I really like that idea about including that um, in the performance reviews and goals. Um, so an another uh, Pay equity is an important issue in the today's new diverse workforce. Um, what should employers be aware of when addressing pay equity issues? Um, yeah, great question. Pay equity, I think, is on everyone's mind these days with so much attention um, being garnered toward the discrepancies in pay. So when you look at pay equity, you know, it means providing that equal compensation for employees who are similar in terms of job duties and important characteristics such as their experience, um, their tenure with the company, um, location, as well as their job performance. So pay equity, you know, it's in line with looking at those controlled pay gaps. You know, here in the United States, fairness and pay is usually considered through the pay equity lens and is captured in the Equal Pay Act. And then if we can look at the flip side, pay equality um, is a broader concept than pay equity and refers, you know, not just to equal pay for people in similar, similar situations, but also to the equality of opportunity, um, what motivating factors, and also acceptance that lead to the proportional holding of positions across the pay spectrum. So what does fair pay mean in terms of the various legal responsibilities an organization is subject to? You know, where differences in pay between classes of people cannot be explained you know, by reasonable or acceptable causes, the organization should investigate the causes of unacceptable pay differences. And this will allow such causes to be strategically addressed. And then also looking at, you know, while an almost infinite number of things can be done to address fair pay issues in an organization, you know, it's important also to consider local anti-discrimination and compensation laws when creating these programs. So we know in the United States, it's illegal to make any employment decision based on gender status uh, and discrimination against both females and males can be litigated. So this would make a program that explicitly favors females for promotion unlawful. Um, similarly, many countries have provisions in their fair pay laws that prevent companies from lowering the pay of employees as a means of eliminating pay differences between classes. And I'm sure, Rosel, you probably have some additional commentary um, on this question. Absolutely. I would also add that conducting a pay equity analysis 
is very helpful because it helps you surface and understand any issues that might exist in your organization. And one very important thing that I would advise employers to do is to con conduct this under the direction of a council or a pay consultant for several reasons. One, you need to make sure that you're comparing the right jobs. And by comparable, we mean similarly situated employee groups or SSEGs. These are the jobs which are similar in terms of the work performed, their level of responsibility, and the skills and qualifications needed to perform the job. This is to ensure that you're making true apples to apples comparisons. And then second, when you unearth issues, you need to develop a strategy to rectify them and the best way to address them while at the same time mitigating your company's exposure to risk. For example, the most obvious answer or remedy, of course, when you find pay inequity is to raise that person's salary. But do you give it up? Do you give the raise in one lump sum or over a period of time? What if the difference is huge? How do you explain that to the employee? Some of the rectification strategies that I've seen include providing merit increases over a period of time. Um, so that's one thing that you need to be thinking about. Do you also need to review historical pay records and calculate the difference uh, so that you can make that employee whole? Is that something you would endeavor to do or address? And do you need to discuss with your legal counsel uh, if you if you choose to do that about developing individual employee agreements that would indemnify your organization against any claims uh, related to unfair pay practices uh, that you are now taking proactive measures to resolve. Uh, so these are all very important factors to consider. Um, and, and that's why conducting a pay equity analysis is good, but it's not something I would do on a self-service um, basis. I would definitely work with a pay consultant or uh, a, a, an employment attorney uh, when, when you're conducting that. Uh, the other thing too, the advantage of doing it with an employment attorney is that uh, all of the information is going to be protected under employee client privilege, right? However, the one thing that you don't want to do is to do the study, to see pay gaps, and not do anything. Because now you just made your violation willful. And that's not a good thing. You're going to be in greater trouble than when you started. And then lastly, review your compensation practices so that you don't create new inequities going forward. Proactively conduct annual audits so you can promptly fix any issues that come up. And so those are some of the best practices when it comes to pay equity analysis and addressing pay, pay issues in your organization. Thank you. And is conducting a training needs assessment critical? And, and if so, why? Um, I would say definitely yes. Conducting a training needs assessment is a critical step before you start any type of training activity. Um, you know, just as an example, if you think about when you go to a doctor and you receive a prescription before the doctor does a thorough exam or performs any tests, do you think that medication will be effective? More than likely, it won't be, and that can be, you know, fatal in your situation. 
So introducing any type of training curriculum without properly understanding the needs of your workforce can have an unwanted. So definitely a needs assessment, you know, will help you identify the learning pathway for your workforce. And it will even allow you to segment the learning based on an employee's position in the company. So we know a good um, rule of thumb is to have, you know, the training tailored based on if someone is in a leadership position um, or a you know, middle manager or an, even an individual contributor. We know that each group will have their unique learning needs. And also, you know, the assessments can help determine if perhaps your talent acquisition team and hiring managers, you know, should receive different training modules, um, such as focusing on bias um, in the recruitment and selection process. This assessment, you know, will also help to identify any ongoing training needs, as well as any type of periodic or perhaps nudge training sessions um, that can be rolled out in the form of like mini modules. Um, and these modules, they can be scheduled to be released throughout the year, such as maybe a monthly or quarterly cadence. Thank you so much, Pam. And I hate to say this, but this is going to be our last question. I want to thank you both so much for being here. I've so enjoyed having this conversation with you and learning more about, you know, HR, what HR can do in uh, progressing DEI. Um, but our last question is, how do you counter diversity resistance in an organization? Well, this is a, a great way to end our session. And diversity resistance is real. And the first step is to understand the reason behind the resistance and understanding that. Is it due to a misconception or a misunderstanding of what diversity is? For example, they see DEI as simply referring to race and gender. Is there a need to redefine that and reframe that for the organization? That diversity encompasses all dimensions of difference. Or is there a lack of understanding or awareness of the benefits of DEI? Perhaps they see DEI as only benefiting protected classes. And we need to provide greater understanding around how DEI is like the tide that lifts all boats and benefits everyone in the organization. Successful DEI has a positive impact on all business metrics across the board. Every single metric that DEI improves are metrics that any company will want for their entire organization. Those are improved retention, increased employee engagement, improvement in employee job satisfaction, uh, better employee attitudes and outlook towards the company, better employee relations, reduce instances of complaints, a higher sense of belonging. Uh, there's increased comfort in disclosing and the sharing of thoughts and ideas. There's greater idea generation, there's greater creativity, greater innovation, and better decision-making. Who would not want that? We also need to be aware of and disabuse ourselves from the notion that DEI is a zero-sum game. I think this is what is causing so much divisiveness around diversity, that what you give to one group takes away from another. Because diversity is not a zero-sum game. An organization, as its name implies, is an organic, dynamic, growing entity. It's not static. It grows. The pie grows. 
The benefits gained from DEI bring about greater growth and the entire organization and its employees benefit from it. We will be so much better from it because of it. So it doesn't really make sense to fight something that benefits us. Instead, we should support it. But we need to get people to that level of understanding. And, and that is why training and conversations around DEI are so very important. Thank you both so much again for that wonderful conversation. And thank you to our listeners and to our sponsor, Best Buy. To learn more, you can reach Roselle and Pamela at roselle.rogers at circoworks.com and pamela.pujo at affirmity.com. New episodes of the Forum podcast are available at forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.